All right, uh, welcome everybody. This second sicha in the uh, Dvar Malchus distributed by the Rebbe is from Lakut Sichas Chelek Lamed Dalid. It is the third sicha of Parshas Sheftim. And it begins by analyzing the words of the Rambam in Hilchas Malachim, Perig Yod Aleph, where it speaks about the source for the belief in Geula and Mashiach. Without further ado, let's let's begin. Kosov Rambam Hilchas Malachim. The Rambam writes in the Laws of Kings. Hamelach Mashiach Asid Lameid. In the future, Melech HaMashiach will arise and return the Davidic dynasty to its former glory. And the Ram goes on to explain more of what Mashiach will do. The Rebbe says here, V'chulu. Here's the psak. Anyone who does not believe in Mashiach and does not await his coming, what's the din? He not only denies all the other prophets, but even the chief prophet, Mesha, and uh, the Torah itself. Because the Torah itself testifies to the coming of Mashiach. In other words, it's not only a Jewish belief that has some Judaic source, it has the highest level of source, it, it, is, it is biblical. And here's what the Rambam says, he gives He's about to give three biblical proofs, which we're going to talk about. Shinema, as it says, Hashem will return your captives and have mercy on you and return you and gather you. Even if you will be scattered to the ends of the heavens, Hashem will bring you in. This is still from Rambam. And, of course, this scriptural, or rather uh, biblical meaning uh, from from. Chumash, this source from Chumash, includes within it all the other mentions of Mashiach that are in the prophets. All right, continuing. Also, in Parshas Bilam, there's also a mention of Mashiach. Mashiach there, Bilam prophecies about two messianic figures. The first Mashiach, which is David Amalekh, and the final Mashiach, the actual Mashiach, Sha'imin Bibonav Khulu, who will be a descendant of David. And in the parentheses that Abba says, Maybe Kama Psukim Mipashis Bilum Mafarshmal David for Al Malach Mashiach, the Rabbi brings many Psukim from Parshas Balak from the prophecies of Bilam and explains how these prophecies are referring both to David and to his descendant, Mashiach. Okay. So that is basically Perek Yud Aleph, Halacha Aleph. Now the Rebbe continues. Then in the next Halacha, meaning Halacha Beis, the Rebbe continues and says, now we're quoting again, Af ba'ari miklat hu Now we have a third proof scriptural proof. In reference to the cities of refuge, there's a mitzvah of a, uh, of si- to make cities of refuge, which we're going to talk about. If somebody inadvertently kills, uh, commits manslaughter, so he is exiled to the Arimiklat. Also, even intentional killers 
um, while they're awaiting their judgment, they also go to Ari Miklat. It's called a city of refuge because uh, someone who was a killer, he will uh, be safe from having the relative of the victim uh, murder him uh, in revenge. Anyways, in reference to the Ari Miklat and the cities of refuge, who Aimer, it says, Im um, when Hashem will expand your boundaries, you're going to add three more cities. Historically, there were six cities, three in what we call Eretz proper, and three on the other side of the Jordan River, Eber Yardin. And uh, in the future, Hashem will expand the land to include three more lands that were never conquered, Keni, Kniz, Vikadmeni, which are Amen Mayev and uh, and Edaim, and three more Arimiklet will need to be built. <coughs> the Ramam says, This never happened yet. Okay, so it never happened, yeah, but Hashem never commands something for naught. So if Hashem said, When the land will expand, you'll add more uh, cities of refuge, that means. It's not, uh, it's not being stated for naught. It's part of the mitzvah. The Ram continues from the prophets. I'm not even going to bring you a proof. Why? The prophets are just, you know, you'd have to quote half the psukim. Half of the Nevi'im are talking about uh, Mashiach. Okay. So now the Rebbe says, We have to look into this. What was lacking in the first two proofs? The first one from the Pasuk Veshav Gaimer, and then the second one, which were the prophecies of Bilam. What was lacking in these two proofs? That the Rambam had to add the third proof. The one about the cities of refuge. Hatzorich b'shnei rayas rishenis movement. Now, you could ask, well, why did he need two proofs? You're saying, why did he need the third proof? Oh, why did he need two proofs? Just use one proof. No, why the first two proofs were needed? That we understand. Ki kavonas aramim kan belchas malachim he alamuna b'melech hamashiach. Why? Because the Rambam is explaining that there's not just the concept of a redemption, a redemptive era, but there's actually a persona, an actual human being called Melech HaMashiach who will lead the Jewish people in the world into that era. In addition to belief in a general idea of a redemption, that Hashem himself will manage to bring about a redemption in one way or another. But in addition to that, we have to specifically believe in a person who is a king, who is the leader who causes this era to come about. Along with all the different specific details that Rambam gives about this person. Indeed, like the Rambam stresses when he says, anyone who doesn't believe in him. That means Melech HaMashiach. The psukim from Nitzavim speak about Hashem being the one who causes the Gula. doesn't specifically mention a Mashiach figure. Rather, in the prophecies of Bilam, there it speaks about an actual figure known as Mashiach. David, Umelech Mashiach. In fact, it speaks about David and Mashiach. And that's indeed why uh, the whole long proof, the second proof is brought. With uh, many different verses that speak about them, about the David and his descendant Mashiach. There it hints about different qualities of Mashiach, 
cremation is bottom like it's explained else, elsewhere the, the, the different beliefs and the, the different qualities of Mashiach that we have to believe in. Okay. So that's why we needed the second proof, Parshas Bilam. Because just with Nitzavim, you would only know that there will be a redemption. Hashem will bring it about somehow or another, but you wouldn't know necessarily uh, that it would involve Mashiach. In Bilam, it's very clear it's talking about Mashiach. Okay, Ula Idach, on the other hand, why did you need then the first Raya, the one of Nitzavim? Bilam. You couldn't just use the second Raya, you needed the first one, the Eidzeis, and not only <laughs> did you need the first Raya, but Shevirak Shnia, that the Bilam not only was not enough on its own, but Bilam was also only the second uh, proof because Ramam's point here isn't just to bring scriptural proof Ramam's trying to prove that anyone who doesn't believe in Mashiach is actually denying Torah and he needs to find something where it's not just that Teresh Balpeh explains the words of Torah to mean a messianic uh, reference. See, in Bilam, if you just read the Pesukim by themselves, you wouldn't understand it's talking about Mashiach. It's only because Teresh Shabalpeh explains that. Shigama Pirusha v'hu Teresh Yes, true. Anybody who's kaifer in Teresh is also kaifer b'teira. But Ramon's trying to prove an even uh, higher level of kfira, if we could call it that. Um, the Ramon wants to show that the Mashiach is is explicit in Scripture. The the, the prophecies of Bilam, uh, are, yes, they're in scripture, but they're not explicit. They're, they're stated in metaphorical ways and in riddles. It's impossible to say about uh, Bilam's prophecies that he's explicitly talking about Mashiach. So therefore, um, if the Ram is trying to prove that one who denies Mashiach is denying explicit Torah verses, he needs the first proof, the one from Nitzavim. Mashein came b'pasukarishin shemafurish b'yal derech gula kibutz galius v'chulu. But in in the pasuk from Nitzavim, it is very clear that it's talking about the uh, ingathering of the exiles, meaning the gula. So we understand why we need the first two uh, the proofs, but why the third, okay? So the first proof we needed because it explicitly talks about Geula, but what is it lacking? It's not speaking about the persona of Mashiach. The second Raya has the advantage of it speaking clearly about Mashiach, the person, but it's lacking uh, it being explicit. You have to like know what uh, Bilam is sort of hinting at. You know, it's uh, you need the Pirish of Tirish about Pat to even uncode it. So you put the two together and you have a pretty strong raya that there's a concept of Mashiach explicit in the Torah and that it's a person, Melech Mashiach. All right, and that you can get from the first two proofs. Why do you need the third one, the one about cities of refuge? Gam Yishladayak, another question. Sharamim Kosov Raya Zu Balacha Bifne'atzma. The proof about Ari Mikla is halacha base. It's the second halacha in the Perik. So the first two proofs are in the, in, in the first halacha. The third proof is set, set on its own, <coughs> apart in, the, in, a, in its own halacha. Seemingly, you should have put all three proofs all in the same halacha. Okay. And that ends... So, just to recap, Aleph, um, the Rambam in Hilchas Malochim, Perek Yud Aleph, speaks about the fact that anyone who doesn't believe in Mashiach and await his coming is denying in, not just in the prophets, but in Meishu Rabbeinu and, and in the Torah itself, 
and the Ramam gives three proofs. The first two proofs in the first halacha. One is the promise of a redemption in Parshish Nitzavim. It's a promise of a redemption, it's explicitly stated, it has that advantage, but it's lacking any reference to the persona of Mashiach. Second proof is in Parshish Bilam. It has the advantage that it's, it's speaking about Mashiach as a person, but it's lacking its explicitness that the first proof has. Then in the second halacha, um, the Ramam says that there's a mitzvah to add on three more arimiklet when, when, when the land will be expanded. That hasn't happened yet, so there's a piece of a mitzvah still waiting to be done. And Hashem would never just give a command that could never be fulfilled, that would never be fulfilled. Just a mitzvah that's, uh, you know, the Ramam calls it latoihu, you know, uh, for, for naught. So, uh, so that's a proof that, uh, that the redemption is a biblical concept. And we basically were wondering why we need that third proof and why that third proof is in its own halacha. Okay, fine. Pedic base or uh, sif base. V'nira loymer sh'beraya zuma are miklat yeshchidish ikri lagabi base rayas rashoynes. There's a main advantage, a novel point, that the third proof brings out that the first two don't. In this third proof, what the Rambam does is he establishes that Mashiach is connected to a mitzvah of the Torah. See, that's that's different than just saying it's explicitly mentioned in Torah. Something can be mentioned in the Torah, like a story, for instance, that happened to the Aves, but it's not a mitzvah. Here it's connected to a mitzvah an eternal commandment, one of Hashem's 613 desires for the Jewish people to bring into actuality in this world. And as the Sikha is going to explain, this is a whole different category. Once something's a mitzvah, it's a whole different ballgame. Okay, we're going to talk about it. Kleimar, the Rebbe clarifies. Although redemption is clearly stated in Torah, and the Pirish Mishnayis, the Rambam, counts it as one of the major or fundamental beliefs, one of the Yudgimel Ikrim. That doesn't say that Mashiach is one of the mitzvahs or even a part of a mitzvah. We don't find anywhere in Taita that there's a Commandment to believe in Gula. Varaki Kevin Shazo Inyan Hamafurish Potato Loch in Kolshain Maimin Ba. Harehu Kaifa Potato. Vameshir Abeno. Rather, because Mashiach is something in Taita, so although there's not a specific commandment to believe in Mashiach, but since Mashiach's in Taita, if you don't believe in Mashiach, so you're Kaifer, you're denying Taita, Chasashon. However, by bringing in the Arimiklat proof, the Rambam is establishing that although there isn't a specific separate mitzvah on its own to believe in Mashiach, however, the belief in Mashiach is part of another mitzvah. Specifically, uh, the mitzvah of Ari Miklat. What happens from this that b- belief in Mashiach is now connected to a mitzvah? 
ועל ידי שנעשה חלק ממצווה בתירו, יש בו גם התוקף שבעניין המצווה. Now it has a whole new strength, the strength of mitzvahs. כמי שכוסף הרמב״ם בהלכס יסיידי התירו, like the רמב״ם writes in הלכס יסיידי התירו, דבר ברור מפורש בתירו שהיא מצווה אמדס לאלו מאלו מאלומים, אין לה לא שינוי ולא גירוין ולא תספס. It is a... An explicit thing that Torah is eternal, it doesn't change, it doesn't uh, diminish, it doesn't add. Nothing can be diminished from it or added to it. Shemitzvah, pirushay tzivoy ha-Torah. Mitzvah means a commandment. Gehemshech divra ha-Rambam, shkol divra ha-Torah, mitzvah onu la-asesin ad-Elam. And the commandments we are commanded to do forever. Mitzvahs mean we are commanded to do them forever. V'chein kosov gam b'chos malachim shom. Also similarly, in Hilchos malachim, the Rambam writes, V'hamshech ha'inyin oidus ha'melech ha'mashiach ikra dvarim koach ha'hein sh'atera azais chuk mishpatim la'elom ha'elom ha'elomim v'in me'sifim ha'leim v'lai goyim ha'hein The Torah doesn't get added to, it doesn't get subtracted from. V'chol ha'mesif ha'gerea anyone who adds to the Torah or subtracts from the Torah or interprets the mitzvahs metaphorically. This person is a, uh, a scammer and a wicked person and uh, a heretic. Malachin, therefore, kevin she'in yinagula hu prat b'mitzvah sari miklat. Once the Ramam has established that the belief of Mashiach is connected to a mitzvah, specifically the mitzvah of hari miklat, hari kashem shari miklat, he mitzvah imedis le'elam. Chulu, ein lo loy shinoi chulu, just like the mitzvah of hari miklat, like all mitzvahs, never can change. Kach yav shaliyeh shinoi chas v'shalom b'av tochazu, so too this promise of Mashiach can never change. And now we can also understand why the Rambam, in this proof, the proof of Ari Miklat, specifically used a word. What word? Hashem would never command something for naught. The whole point there is that it's a tzivu, it's a mitzvah. His point is to stress, to underscore. The Kevin who Indian shall mitzvah, tziva kodesh baruch, since it's a mitzvah. There can be no change in it because Hashem doesn't make a make a, uh, a commandment for naught. Okay, so let's just review. That's the end of Sif base. What did we just learn here? The third proof has something very special, and that is it connects Mashiach to a mitzvah. It is not a specific mitzvah. It's not one of the 613 commandments that you have to believe in Mashiach. You know, like it's one of the 613 mitzvahs you have to believe in Hashem, right? But it doesn't say anywhere that uh, you have to believe in Mashiach. Not as an explicit mitzvah by itself. However, there's a mitzvah in the Torah. happens to be Ari Miklet. Why specifically Ari Miklet? We don't know yet. But it doesn't matter because a mitzvah is a mitzvah. There's one of the Tayyag mitzvahs happens to be Ari Miklet that the fulfillment of that mitzvah is connected inherently to Mashiach, cannot be fully done until Mashiach comes. And now what happens is the whole concept of Mashiach becomes connected to a mitzvah. It takes on a whole new level of power. Why? Because a concept, and we're going to explain it more as we go on, a concept that's mentioned in Torah, I don't want to give away what we're about to, what we're about to say, but there are many ways something can be true. Um, and there are many levels of truth. I know I sound like, you know, relative morality here, but, um, you know, something can be true um, spiritually or metaphorically. Something can be true under certain conditions or because of certain conditions. And then there's something that is always true, was always true, can only be concretely interpreted, um, not metaphorically, not figuratively, not spiritually, and that's what a mitzvah is. So 
because there's a whole new level of, of absolute truth that is established once we can connect Mashiach to a mitzvah. Okay, let, let, let's continue here. Gimel. Yasabir, for more uh, explanation. Something that a prophet says could change. For instance, if a Navi says a negative prophecy, it could change. It could become nullified. Because Hashem is patient and kind. Or maybe the Yidin did tshuva, so the bad thing won't come to pass. Also, even a positive prophecy, if it was only personally between Hashem and the Navi, could also, a sin could cause it not to come to pass. Only a positive prophecy that was given in regard to the the public, do we say that it will always come true? And even that, that I was going to explain, it's not an absolute truth. We'll, we'll see. Even in a case where the Navi's prophecy will come to pass, like the Ramam says, in fact, that if a Navi says a positive pro- prophecy, and like we said, something that's affecting everybody, um, then it won't become nullified. If Hashem tells the Navi to tell the public something good is going to happen, now it must happen. It's mukhruch. Even a sin can't cause it not to come true anymore. It's not that the, 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 the prophecy is intrinsically um, unchanging. It's just Practically speaking, it won't change. I'll explain in one second. Like the Rambam explains why a positive prophecy that affects the Klal won't be retracted even from a sin. It's because we need some way to ascertain who a true prophet is. So Hashem told us, look, if a Navi says a positive prophecy and it, and it affects everybody, and it, it, then... It has to come to pass. Why? Because that's your your litmus test. That's your way of, of determining that a prophet is real. You understand? So basically, it's not that there's something inherently about the words of this prophecy that cannot even theoretically ever change. In theory, it could change. It's just that Hashem made a rule that He's not going to change it. You understand? There's a difference between... It won't change, and it can't change. Not to spoil the surprise, but what I was going to say about a mitzvah is not just a mitzvah won't change. A mitzvah can't change. What does it mean a mitzvah can't change? Hashem can't change it? It's like saying Hashem cannot be Hashem. A mitzvah can't change any more than Hashem can change. The mitzvahs are the expression of Hashem's innermost will. So this is what we have to understand. A, a prophecy comes about as a message in a world that already exists. There's stuff going on. Hashem needs to communicate to the people there. So he chooses a prophet and he sends a message. But that prophecy didn't exist before the creation of the world. It's a response to conditions in the world. A mitzvah is something that existed before the creation of the world. See, a mitzvah, when we say a mitzvah is eternal, we don't just mean that it exists forever in the future. We mean it always existed forever in the past, even before the world was created. So when we connect Mashiach to a mitzvah, we're giving it a whole different level of eternality. 
if it's just something from a Navi, let's say we're just speaking about. It may be that Hashem won't change it once a Navi promised it, but it's not that it inherently cannot change. But if it's a mitzvah, that's a whole other discussion. Now it inherently cannot change. Let's, let's go ahead. The eternality of Torah is that not just it won't change like a prophecy, a good prophecy, but it can't change. It's impossible to change. Just like Hashem doesn't change. There's no such thing as Hashem changing. Not just Hashem won't change. Hashem can't change. And it's not a limitation upon him that he can't change. Hashem is absolute reality. So to say that Hashem could be any different is to say that his reality is a relative reality. Torah is Hashem. Torah is Hashem's Chachm and His Ratzin, which are one with Him. Therefore, Torah itself also doesn't change. Even though the promise of Gula is a prophecy, and a good prophecy will never be retracted, canal. And, and the side discussion is not only would sin not be able to cause it to be retracted based on the rules that Hashem made for a positive prophecy, but in this case, Practically speaking, sin wouldn't mess it up. Why? Like we know that Ram says, We know that in the end, the Yidin will do tshuva. Okay, so... First of all, a positive prophecy couldn't get messed up by a sin. Second of all, there's not going to be any more sin because we're going to do tshuva. But that's not the reason why we're saying Mashiach is such an absolute. We're saying it why? Because Mekol Mokim Havadoyes Shabizehi Rak Metzad Gidrei Nevuah That, what we're saying from a prophecy, that's not that it's inherently certain, unchanging, woven into the fabric of reality. It's just that Hashem established certain rules, made certain promises that He wouldn't go back on. However, once you establish that Geula is part of a mitzvah, now it's a whole level, a whole other level of eternality. We're talking about something that is Be'etzim, inherently, intrinsically eternal. Like I was saying, not just that it won't change, it can't change. Any more than you could theoretically imagine Hashem not being Hashem, or Hashem being some different kind of Hashem, right? So the mitzvahs cannot change. The mitzvahs cannot be different mitzvahs. Let me explain it a little bit differently. The mitzvahs were not a response to conditions of this world. The mitzvahs were in existence long before the world and actually give rise to the world. So it's not that the mitzvahs are laws that are here to govern the world. The world is here to give expression to the mitzvahs. So a prophecy is something that's speaking about the world after it already exists. But a mitzvah is what causes the world to exist. So there's really no such concept. Once Mashiach is part of a mitzvah, there's no such concept of Mashiach not being a reality. Understand? It's not just like, well, we know Mashiach has to come because Hashem wouldn't go back on it now. 
No, it's not that Hashem wouldn't go back on it. It's that Hashem can't. And I don't mean can't in the sense of a limitation. I mean in the sense of truth. It's like, basically you could say this. There's no theoretical scenario in which Mashiach doesn't eventually come any more than there's a theoretical scenario in which Hashem isn't Hashem. Meaning, <laughs> just like Hashem is Hashem and there's no way that Hashem is not Hashem, and if Hashem's not the Hashem that you're thinking of, then you're not thinking of Hashem, right? Like the Rebbe told the atheist young man, the God, you don't believe in, I don't believe in either, right? So just like Hashem, there's no, not even in a theoretical scenario is there a possibility of Hashem not being Hashem. So too, now that Mashiach is part of a mitzvah, there's no theoretical scenario in which there isn't a concept, not just a concept, sorry, that's the whole point here, a reality, a physical reality of Mashiach. Okay, let's go to Dalit. We have a question. There's still a question that's sort of getting to us. Why do you have to say it specifically a mitzvah that makes it, you know, have this nitzchias? The whole Torah is nitzchias. Bifrat, bechamisha chumshet Torah, especially five books of Moses, chamisha kusvar rabbim, chamisha chumshet Torah, ena betein la'elam, the five books of Moses will never become battle. Shekol and nichta betedas meisha hu nitzchi v'kaim la'elam, it's all eternal, forever. Once it's already part of Torah, meaning it's in Nitzavim, and it's in the Nevoah of Bilam, it's in Torah, it's in Torah Shebech it's in Chumash. So once it's in Chumash, why do you need it to be a mitzvah? There's something more about a mitzvah even than the rest of 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 Chomish, and what we're going to say is yes, yeah, okay. There's a there is an, there's a basic difference, yeah, between mitzvahs and even the rest of Tzedish Bechsav, even the rest of Chomish. Things that are in Torah are all true. Yes, of course they're true. But they could remain spiritually true. In the abstract. For instance, a very interesting proof that Rebbe gives. The stories in the Torah meaning the things that happen to the obvious and things like that. What's the eternality of them? The eternality are their lessons. There's a moral, there's a lesson that they teach. But the, the, the description of the event isn't eternal. It says Avram went south. Okay, he did that already. He's not going south right now. He's not always going south for the rest of time, right? It happened, it's done. Oh, the truth of it, the message of it endures. But the event, the event is over, right? So it's not happening in the physical world anymore. The truth still exists on a conceptual level, but the event itself is over. But when you're talking about mitzvahs, mitzvahs, their eternality and the fact that they cannot be added to nor subtracted from is not just on a conceptual level, not some truth in the, in the, in the sense of it has an eternal lesson for us. No, no, no. Mitzvah is always literally true. Meaning to say, and we're about to get into this, if somebody says an idea in Torah, is a, is a spiritual truth, a metaphorical truth. That's one, I mean, it's probably also kfira, but it's not the same level of kfira as someone who says a mitzvah is metaphorical. 
Meaning it doesn't really mean to put leather straps and boxes on your head and on your arm. It means the spirit of it, right? You know, like real reform type of um, making mitzvahs totally symbolic, right? Okay, so watch this. When the Ramah was talking about people who take Torah figuratively, he specifically mentions the mitzvahs, that they interpret the mitzvahs figuratively. A person who interprets the truths of Torah as figurative, okay, it's all, like I said, probably also kfira. Uh, uh, it is kfira, but it's a different level of kfira. Now you're going to say, practically speaking, it's all. The point here is we're explaining, perhaps it's a roundabout way of explaining it in the conventional sense, but we're trying to bring out that Mashiach isn't just a Jewish idea. And, okay, it's part of Judaism. It doesn't have to actually happen. It's part of Judaism. It's a Jewish concept. It's a Jewish belief. It's, it's, it inspires Jews. No, you can't. And, and, but, 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 no, but it doesn't have to literally ever happen. No, you can't say that. That is akin to, not it's akin to, it is the same, it literally the same as saying that tefillin, you could shiba the mayach v'halev. You can, you can, you could you could subjugate your mind and heart to Hashem through a meditation, through a poem, through an interpretive dance. You don't have to actually put on the the, the boxes, right? So the negation of the literal interpretation of a mitzvah—that's a whole other level of negation of Torah. Kshem shu b'sipure atayda. There is such a concept, just like the stories of Torah aren't literally happening, happening anymore. They literally happened, of course, we believe they literally happened, but they're not literally happening now. So too, many ideas in Torah can have symbolic meaning. They don't have to be physical. Uh, let's continue. Okay. There's a general principle that a promise of Hashem, it's possible that it won't happen um, because sin blocks it from happening, um, even if it's something that's promised in Torah, like the Braisa explains in Brochas, Ad Yaver Am Hashem, Ad Yaver Am Zu Kanisa, Ad Yaver Am Hashem Zu Biyereshene, Shabola Oritz. First part of the pasuk is referring to when the first time the Yidden entered Eretz Yisrael from Mitzrayim, b'me Yeshua, when Yeshua led them. Rashi, ad yaver am zukanisa zubiyashniya. That's talking about the second time they entered. Kshalom golos bavel b'me Ezra. Rashi Rashi says when they entered the second time, leaving golos bavel with uh, Ezra. Mikan amru chacham roim ha Yisrael lasses. Okay, so the Chazal say from this Pasuk in Torah, um, which is actually we say it in the, uh, the Shira every day in, uh, in Davening, so part of the Shira that the Yidin sang with Mesha, in Oz Yosha Mesha, um, Chazal interpret this Pasuk to mean that there will be two miraculous entries into the land, the miraculous entry into the land under the leadership of Yeshua when they didn't first entered the land, and then the second time when they left Bavel uh, under the leadership of Ezra. Now we know actually that's not what happened. The second time they entered the land was not as miraculous. Oh, so Chazal say it could have been. 
Could have been, but it didn't happen. Well, hold on a second, it was promised in Torah. You're telling me that these verses in Torah are saying that it should have been as miraculous the second time they entered as the first time they entered. So what we're saying is, eh, it could have been, but the sin got in the way and, and ruined it. Seemingly, you could ask, well, hold on, it's a Pasuk in Torah that's promising. And Torah never changes, can't be added to, can't be subtracted from. How is it possible, any way you want to slice it, that something that's promised in Torah wouldn't happen? It has to be. Simple answer. It's possible that Torah says something, and it doesn't happen in a physical, literal way. That's the whole Kiddush that I was bringing out here. She came and taught us once it's connected to a mitzvah, two things emerge that are different than a promise of a prophet and even different than anything else written in Chumash itself. And that is, one, that it's got to be literal, got to be physical, and two, that not just it won't change, because Hashem won't let it change, but it can't change. It inherently is not something that can change, just like Hashem doesn't change and cannot change. Okay, let's go to hey. Now we're going to explain why the Ram connects Mashiach to Ari Mikla. The Ramam is bringing out not just that we have more scriptural proofs, but the Ramam is bringing out another level of Misha'ina Maiminbai. That if you don't believe in Mashiach, I mean, you can ask practically speaking, what's the difference? It's not the point. The point is when we say, what level of Kfira is it to not believe in Mashiach? The point, that's not the point here. The point is, when I'm trying to grasp what level of truth is the idea of Geula, we have to be clear. It's not just a conceptual truth. It's not just a Jewish idea. It's not just something that, you know, has a basis in Torah. There is no concept of reality, at least from the Jewish perspective. You want to pick another religion to look at life from, you, you could do that. But... From the Jewish perspective, there's no concept of this world that doesn't culminate in the Gula. No concept. It doesn't exist. Just like there's no concept of a world in which Jews don't put on tefillin. The Nesel is there. Shekaifa b'tayda v'meisha rabbeinu, m'ibnei sh'atayda ha'ida alav. If you don't believe in Mashiach, you're not just negating a Jewish concept, you're diminishing one of the mitzvahs of Torah. So since that part of the mitzvah never came to pass, and if you say Mashiach doesn't have to necessarily come, then you're saying that mitzvah doesn't necessarily ever get fulfilled, and then you're in the category of what the Rambam was saying is a scammer and a rasha and a, and a heretic. Okay, continuing. Remember our second question, our first question at the beginning of the sikha was why the need for the third proof? And our second question was why is the third proof in its own halacha? The first two proofs are in 
one halacha together, and then the third proof is in a second halacha on its own. Now we're going to answer. Because the first halacha is just proving that Torah testifies to the concept of Mashiach. And that if you don't believe Mashiach, you're, you're denying Torah. But in the second halacha, it's a whole different degree of severity. It's saying that Mashiach is connected to a mitzvah, which is a whole other level, and that's why it's in its, uh, in its own halacha. Now, hold a, second. a guy who's already kaifer in Torah and in Meishar So, <laughs> what does it make it worse that he's 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 gareya in a mitzvah? So the Rebbe's going to say it is worse. There's a halachic difference. Let's say a person says, yeah, I believe that there's a concept of Mashiach, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's a Jewish concept, but it's not going to happen. Why? Because whatever, you know, the Jews ruined it. The Jews ruined it. That's one reason. If somebody was going to give that answer, Seemingly, you couldn't say about him that he's a kaifer b'teir v'meishar abeinu. Shariah teira ida alav. Well, you're kaifer in teira v'meishar abeinu because teira testifies to Mashiach. Shekvana b'zeh shekaifer b'davar ha'mafurish b'teira shebichsav kanal b'tchilas ha'sicha. Shariah ena kaifer b'avtocha ha'ksuv b'teira ela svirale shegam ha'avtocha zu shayich ha'avtocha gazu shayich inyan ha'charata. Tzarechi im yesh lai din kaifer b'teira shebal peh. So maybe he's a kaifish, uh, uh, a person who says he believes a Mashiach is a promise in Torah. Yes, but it's not going to happen. So uh, you, you can't say that he's a kaifer in, in, in Torah's Mesha. He, he believes that it's a concept. He just believes it's not going to happen. Maybe he's kaifer in Torah Shabal Peh. Maybe you can nail him on that. But you can't say he's kaifer in, in Torah's Mesha. But once Mashiach becomes a mitzvah, or part of a mitzvah, or part of the conditions of a mitzvah, and the guy says, no, Mashiach's not going to come. Oh, you just denied a mitzvah. Now we got you. You understand? Not that we're really so concerned. I just want to make certain. It's not we're so concerned catching people, you know, who are kofrim and what level of kvira. The point is for us to understand the level of absolute reality to Geula, how it is woven into the fabric of reality. So a guy who says, Mashiach's a Jewish concept, for sure, it's mentioned in Torah, for sure, but it's, it's not going to actually happen. And, and so if we didn't have that third proof, you, you couldn't say that this is necessarily kfira. The guy qualified it like that. No, I believe it's a concept, it's just not going to happen. But once it's a mitzvah, you can't say it's not going to happen. You, you, it, it, it becomes, I mean, this sounds kind of philosophical, but at, at that point, once it's a mitzvah, it's a done deal. Even though it hasn't happened yet, it may as well have happened. It's that real. It's that certain. There's no alternate reality or theoretical scenario in which it doesn't happen. It has to happen. Just like there's no theoretical scenario in which there is no Hashem. It's an impossibility. It's a philosophical impossibility. And like I said before, if you can imagine there not being Hashem, then whatever you're imagining is not Hashem. <laughs> okay, let's continue. You want another practical difference? We'll give you another practical difference. Let's say a person says, I believe in Mashiach, but it won't be literal. 
won't be literal. Maybe it'll be like a sub, subjective thing, an enlightenment that some people will experience. You can't say seemingly that he's a kaifer betera of a meshir because he's saying, I believe it's a thing, it's just not literal. I say it's true. It was speaking metaphorically. And even you say, hold on a second, but there's a klal that that you can't make make a verse not mean its literal meaning. Okay, you're not supposed to interpret verses non-literally, but it's a question if that's really kfira. Is it like denying anything um, fundamental in Torah to, to interpret Torah concepts uh, figuratively? Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's not a problem. But once Torah is a mitzvah, once Mashiach has a mitzvah or part of a mitzvah, now he's not just interpreting psukim not literally, he's interpreting mitzvahs not literally. Now he's in that category of the... Uh, the scammer, the, the the wicked person, and the and the heretic. So we're talking about different scenarios. Uh, one person who says, "Yeah, I believe that Mashiach is a is it, it was a, it was promised to be a real physical thing, but it's not going to happen because the Yidden messed it up." Or another scenario, a guy who says, "I believe it will happen, just on a spiritual plane. If it wouldn't be for that third proof." That wouldn't necessarily be such a denial of Torah. But once you have that third proof, and, and, and Mashiach is connected to a mitzvah, now to say that Mashiach won't come and it won't be a literal, physical happening in this world, now you're denying the most basic truth of Torah. Okay, Vav. The same line. Uh, the same line. We're gonna now bring out another diok. Bilam prophesied about two Mashiach figures. Why does he have to tell us that Bilam spoke about it as a prophecy? Why do I care that it's a prophecy? And don't say the answer is, well, I had to know it was Nevoah, because it's Bilam, and if it would be Bilam you know, on his own, it won't be a Nevoah, maybe I won't believe it, because Bilam was a Rasha. It doesn't matter, it's in Torah. <laughs> Who cares who said it? It's in Torah. But that's not the answer. Ram's adding another uh, another level of seriousness to someone who denies Mashiach. Since that second proof the one from Bilam is a Nevoah. If he doesn't believe Mashiach, now Matan, that second proof, he's denying a Nevoah. Why do we care? Now, what do you need a, a word of prophecy for if you already have a word of Taira, which is more Chamer? There's a certain aspect of words of a prophet which are, which are more severe. The punishment for going against Torah depends on which thing in Torah you go against. There are different levels of, of punishments. But if a person violates the word of a Navi, it doesn't matter if it was a big thing or a small thing. In fact, the Navi could have told somebody to do something completely like mundane, like, you know, jump up and down ten times. doesn't matter. 
once a Navi says something as a Navi saying Navua, there's only one punishment, Misa. So there's a certain severity that comes out uniquely from, uh, from Navua. Although, in general, yes, words of Torah are stronger than words of Nevoah. However, for a person, a prophecy in a certain way is a stronger thing. Because prophecy means a person is being given. Uh, Hashem's messages. Hashem is communicating it to a person. Since Hashem is speaking to a person, it's a stronger thing than is in a certain way kind of removed from us, right? You have to unpack it, you have to decode it. That's why you need Teresh but Nevoah, Nevoah is Hashem spoke to a person in, in human language, a message that's readily discernible. Therefore, when a person hears something from a prophet, it's like hearing it directly from Hashem. That's why it doesn't matter what the commandment was, whether it was a big thing or a small thing. If a Navi says it, he's talking to you. And therefore, if he doesn't do it, he's, he's, he's rebelling against the king, and therefore he's and it doesn't matter what the thing was that the Navi told him to do that he didn't do, it's still flat out a rejection of the king, because the king spoke to a person, through a person, to a person, in the language of a person. So there's a special... Uh, severity here that we're adding, you know, throwing the book at it, basically coming up with every every charge, you know. Now, even though, really in actuality, if a person doesn't believe in Bilam's prophecy, it's not like the actual technical halacha of being you didn't hear it directly from Bilam. That's what he says. He, he prophesied over there. The point is that we're throwing in an extra charge. <laughs> that if you don't believe in Mashiach, not only your Kaifer and Teda and Mesha, and your good and a Mitzvah, which we said is the biggest deal, but also you're not listening to a Navi, which has a certain egregiousness to it, because in Navi, it's like it's a person speaking to people in the language of people. So we got all our bases covered. We have a story from Torah, which is, talks about Gula and Parshas We have a prophecy, and we also have it in the category of mitzvahs. So we got him on all charges. <laughs> he denied something explicitly in Torah. He denied something that's a mitzvah in the Torah. He denied something that is a prophecy of a prophet. Okay. Zion. Let's finish it up. One more thing remains to be explained. My time I understand now the importance of Mashiach being connected to a mitzvah. But why this mitzvah? Why Ari Miklut? The Rebbe says a chiddush. The purpose of the Ari Miklut are to protect you from the blood avenger. If a person's in the Ari Miklut, the avenger is not allowed to touch him. Shame, she has no inyana, miklat, be mocking, kane, who bezman, who I say has man. 
Just like there's a physical location which acts as a refuge, there is an era, a time, that time that Rambam refers to, the Messianic era, is like a refuge in time. There will not be starvation or warfare or jealousy or competition. And then there will be a um, protection from all the negative things of Golis, and the Jews will sit securely in their land. So too spiritually. Befrat apia yedua. Shah inyendari miklet meda ala klita na yetzahara. Shinikra gayaladam. The real blood adventure is the yetzahara who comes to get vengeance on a person for Avedas. Kamame chazal divre teira kailtin. But divre teira, the teira acts as his refuge. Ukameshi ir miklet bepashtas he gam kapada lahirig nefesh. So what happens, the Arimiklot act as not just um, a protection, but as a cleansing. That's why Mashiach is connected specifically to this mitzvah, mitzvah which acts as protection and cleansing. Then we will finish the protection of the Jews and the cleansing of the Jews. Speedily in our days, literally. And now we know a whole new level of appreciation of literally. Literally meaning not a figurative idea, not a concept, not something that inspires us, not something that's a spiritual truth, but something that is as real as anything else that we consider to be reality. Okay, thank you for joining me. It's been exhilarating.